Hi, this is Paul. A number of you wanted me to do some commenting on the recent video out by EWTN. EWTN is a Roman Catholic news service, and I'll leave it to the Catholics in the corner to let us know basically what kind of Catholic news service they are, because nothing is simple anymore, and within an organization as large as the Roman Catholic Church, even the various news services, of course, have their own valences in terms of how many other frames and aspects. But Jordan recently did a pretty extensive interview on um, the, the thumbnail of the slide says, Tammy's um, cancer recovery, a miracle question mark. And I was as I was working on my rough draft for Sunday on my Sunday sermon today, I was thinking a lot about this because actually the text that I most often use to talk about Jordan Peterson, which is Mark chapter nine, is the text that I touch on, and I paid a fair amount of attention to the word miracle. I, I had a tweet earlier this week. Maybe I'll share that. This was my tweet. This was the moment people were waiting for, a real religious interview of Jordan Peterson, where he is put on the spot about miraculous healing of his wife. What will he say? Spoiler alert, he says almost exactly what he's always said. He's been saying the same thing the whole time if you listen carefully. That then begs the question, what exactly are we waiting to hear? What do we think will happen when we hear it? It's a good interview. I'm glad for it. I celebrate the miracle of healing that Tammy received, but the emissary brain keeps wanting to crack the code on the sumum bonum in order to wield it and turn it into the ring of Sauron. We should all be grateful. <laughs> we should all be grateful God minds his business instead of letting us get in over our heads. The righteous will live by faith. So that'll give you a little bit of a teaser about my take on this. I thought it was a great interview. I was very interested to hear what Jordan would say. And in many ways, I was not very surprised by anything he said. To me, this gets at exactly what I was trying to get at in, into the tweet in terms of, okay, how should we think about this? Now, this will come out Friday morning. Um, I'm planning on having Ken Lowry and, if all possible, Jordan Hall on the live stream Friday morning because, obviously, I think Jordan Hall's, the announcement that Jordan Hall was baptized into a church in North Carolina and joined that community as part of his overall seeking, I think, was huge news. And similarly, if Jordan Peterson, you know, Jordan Peterson was already baptized in the church he grew up in, I asked him that once, and he, he kind of was surprised by the question, but uh, as a Christian minister, that frame is really very salient to me. Um, he was baptized, I assume, in a, uh, a United Church of Canada church, which would be at least formally a Trinitarian church, and in all likelihood, a Roman Catholic church would accept that baptism. A Christian Reformed church would accept that baptism. From what I hear, and some of you can correct me in the comments below, some Orthodox churches make accept that baptism. Baptist churches would not, etc., etc., etc. Baptism matters. You can hashtag that if you want to, I suppose. Um, the conversation itself was interesting on a variety of levels. This little moment in the conversation... Oh, is my sound low? Hang on. There, that should be a little bit better. Sorry about the, the low sound, at least initially. This little part of the conversation says a lot about the whole interview in terms of the different frames, the different approaches that the 
it, you sort of have to ask, what does a Roman Catholic news service want out of this conversation? And I was interested in reading the comments. Um, the first comment here, reel them in, Mama. Our Lady of Lourdes, pray for Jordan Peterson and his family and for all us poor sinners. Six replies, 117 upvotes. Um, this one, 163 upvotes, caught my attention. I prayed a St. Jude novella for father when my father had cerebral aneurysm that the neurologist told me the whole family, my mother and five siblings, prepare for him to not make it through surgery. I stood in the hospital hallway, told the neurosurgeon that he was going to live. My father lived, and I went I went to him to the doctor's appointments after his recovery, and sometimes the primary doctor had interns and appointments. So, and then, you know, okay, St. Jude. That, that, that's, that's the way to go, apparently, by some. As a minister who obviously is in contact with a lot of religious people, you get the opportunity to hear family members and their prognostications with respect to whether or not going, God's going to heal someone, someone from this or that, and then whether it does or doesn't happen, and how that works. One helpful thing that a doctor noted to me before is that we don't really cure anyone. <laughs> um, what, we, what we often do is sort of help the body to cure. Now, surgery is different, and this is enormously complex, but early on in the conversation, there was this little interchange. Settle in. And terror, terrified of the inevitable that you were going to lose your wife of 35 years. Now, I am not from the UK, and so I'm going to get my... Uh, I'm going to get my accents wrong. Is he Irish? I tend to think he's Irish. But if I'm wrong, correct me in the comments. Because for all you UK people, it's abundantly obvious. You can almost put it on a GPS a coordinate where he's from. <laughs> you guys amaze me. Well, when something, when you lose someone, when you lose your wife, you don't just lose your wife. You lose the future that you had conjured up and and conceptualized, you lose your children's mother, you lose, well, I would lose a friend, a great friend, and so that in itself obviously turns things upside down. Um, we switched very rapidly into active mode, I would say, and started traveling around from physician to physician, hospital to hospital, as we were fortunate to be able to do. So going through your mind was, no, there has to be a way. We're getting this dreadful diagnosis, but no, there's got to be. So, so what you're saying is, <laughs> again, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to give grief to the, the questioner. He, the questioner is kind of trying to frame it in sort of an emotional state that the audience would get at. And Jordan, when you lose your wife, you don't just lose your wife. And then he walks through that and he's going to walk through it a little bit more. And actually, I think... This is a lot of the reason that uh, many of us appreciate Jordan Peterson because he sort of ups the resolution on things. And someone asked, well, why would you grieve the loss of your wife? Well, my wife isn't just this one narrow category of thing that we can contain in the word wife. She's all of these different things. And then when, when, we get the news. He, he actually walks through a bunch of this in, in maps of meaning with the envelope. 
got to be something. There, there is no reason for us not to seek out every, to search every nook and cranny. And so that's what we did. We traveled to a number of hospitals in a number of different provinces and states. And to also be assured that we understood the situation as accurately as possible, it's always a good idea to get a second opinion or a third opinion. And the opinions we did receive were that the diagnosis, the second diagnosis was accurate and that the situation was hopeless, that there was no real point in radiation or chemotherapy or surgery. Did you and Tammy talk about death, about her dying? No, not really. Um, we were so concerned with immediate emergency practicalities that the more metaphysical aspect of things never arose. And one of the things you need to do when you're confronted by dreadful news is to shorten your time frame immediately. Otherwise it's overwhelming, right? So if the thoughts of the next year or five years are inconceivably threatening, then you concentrate on the next week. And if that's too much, then the next day. And you can get to the point, if you're really unfortunate, where you concentrate on the next minute. And so our time frame shrunk pretty dramatically and pretty immediately. And even you... So, I mean, this is quintessential Jordan. And, um, yeah, patiently, sometimes painfully walks through the memories. One of the key things that I took away from this was that this particular form of cancer Two medical doctors told him that in the, it's a relatively rare form of cancer, and in the, in the medical literature, there were zero patients that, had, that were alive from this cancer one year later. Now, I've talked about this as a miracle myself on a number of occasions. If you go to the, this little corner, uh, the, this little corner search engine that searches all the transcripts from all of the videos from this little corner and you look for Paul Vanderclay and Miracle. This is, I think, in many respects, as bona fide a miracle as you're going to find. This brings me all the way back to the beginning of C.S. Lewis's book on miracles, where he the first thing he says right out of the gate of that book is, I know only one person who claims to have seen a ghost, and that person doesn't believe in ghosts. If you want to understand human beings with respect to these kinds of things, you have to understand our capacity for this dynamic. And, and this in and of itself sort of undermines, in my opinion, the entire modernist presuppositions that human beings are very straightforward creatures. This has long been undermined by me by my experience with human beings, my experience as a minister, my experience as a pastor, where people have this idea that if people believe something, then that's sort of a belief that goes through and through them, and they act rationally upon it. And the way that those beliefs are changed is if you maybe have a syllogism or a proof or something like this, and it's sort of undermined. I, as if I needed to start yet another book, I started um, Pascal's Pensees, 
um, Ponce, it's French, I don't know. And, you know, the, he starts out that book, it reminded me a lot of Ian McGilchrist in terms of the right brain and the left brain, because he's talking about basically mathematical people and intuitive people. And while you will on occasion find someone who is very much directed by what we might call logic and reason. The vast majority of human beings have absolutely no problem keeping enormous contradiction in their matrix of propositional subscribed beliefs. That's just how human beings are. And you can point this out to people and often it doesn't matter. You might embarrass them when you point it out, they will probably receive it as an attempt to shame them or or somehow, uh, you know, they will receive it as negative. But it, for the most part, it doesn't change people. It's just not how human beings work. And so here Jordan and Tammy find themselves and their whole family and their friend network find themselves in a situation where she has a diagnosis of cancer which is validated by two physicians. And there are zero other cases of anyone surviving this cancer for a year. And as Jordan says initially, not only is the fact that she survives noteworthy, but she told him the date of her cure. And she was right. Now again, and the fact that this is these are high profile people these are not um, these these were not religious people necessarily in terms of that they weren't sort of aficionados of a charismatic church or a new age church or anything like this almost all of the reasons to not believe a miracle these people don't have <laughs> and if you listen to this video in some ways they still don't have it, except Tammy is following through on basically her own meaning quest, her own religious quest, and is, is now preparing for formal entrance into the Roman Catholic Church. That's what's happening. Now, what Jordan said in this video with respect to miracles, again, I think was noteworthy. And as often as Jordan talks about being very careful with his speech, and you can find plenty of places on Twitter or on video where he certainly doesn't look very careful with his speech. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. The question of whether or not someone is careful with their speech is really much more of a function from the inside than the outside. People will judge them as they will. But it's very clear in this video, when he's talking about miracles, he is being exceedingly careful with his speech. And again, I have watched this man closely for six years. And for the most part, he says what he has always said. Tammy believes that light shone on her and her situation. Hmm? Praying the rosary, something happened that is extraordinary. Some might say miraculous. Hmm? How has what happened to Tammy changed your view or understanding of what people call the miraculous? Well, I could speak about it sort of prosaically to begin with. I've been writing 
in some depth about the Gospels recently, and about a quarter of the Gospels are devoted to stories of miraculous healing. And for anyone who's conventionally scientific in his or her thinking, those stories are hard to understand. She did do, she pulled out all the stops. Okay, before we get to that, let's talk about the frame because miraculous healing. Now, I am not a skeptic with respect to what we conventionally call miracles. I'm not a skeptic uh, by virtue of my formation. I grew up in a uh, relatively conservative religious denomination on the evangelical, if not towards the fundamentalist side of things in terms of not being skeptical about um, blind men seeing, dead men, Lazarus walking out of the tomb, the, the physical, historical correspondence of these stories. Um, no, no real question there. Also not skeptical about the miraculous, as we call it, because of plenty of personal experience. People who I know who have told me stories of, about healing that has happened through them or to them or they were involved in it, I have absolutely no question that these things happen. And the fact that here in a situation like this, we have a case where there's almost no wiggle room in this case. I mean, if you want to say, they're uninvolved. You can say they're uninvolved, but again, it goes right back to C.S. Lewis's, the beginning of his book, Miracles. Okay. However, all of that said, when you use this word miracles today, there's a framing with respect to it. I suppose you're going to get a little bit of a rough draft today. Saturday will be the rough draft for Sunday, where I'll run through closer to what I'll present on Sunday. As a few people noted, my videos, you know, what I actually say on Sunday is also on the internet. You can find it on the Livingstones Church channel. Every now and then I'll post one too. But the sound quality isn't, isn't as good as this, and so I generally don't post it. I begin by talking about heroes in the ancient world, the whole business of Alexander being a god, Julius Caesar being a god, Caesar Augustus being the son of God, and this really interesting story that appeared when Donald Trump was president and visiting India. Here you have this gentleman from India that set up a statue of Donald Trump, wore a Trump shirt, welcomed Donald Trump to India, and worshipped Donald Trump as a god. And again, India is a place that that would happen because in some ways the ancient assumption and definition of the word god seems to continue to be alive in a place like India. India is a massive place with many people. A god is someone who is able to perform what human beings, generally speaking, are unable to do. In the case of Alexander the Great, conquer the world. In the case of Julius Caesar, conquer Gaul. In the case of Caesar Augustus, somehow, you know, this incredibly astute politician that manages to have the Pax Romana 
and do everything that Augustus Caesar did. I mean, the rest is history. You know, he's in the running for the one of the world's greatest politicians, managing to deal with that. And so this young man in India who made this statue, this idol of Donald Trump, and was performing sacrifices and um, all of these practices to it, well, what was he doing? He was trying in some ways to participate in, I'm going to use a Greek word or at least a word that's been anglicized from Greek, the dunamis, the power that is exhibited with someone who does amazing things, things that no one else can can possibly seem to do. Uh, let's get into this a little bit. And so, so here you get to, here you get to the, the portion that I have used with respect to Jordan Peterson before. Teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. Do not stop him, Jesus said. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the same moment say anything bad about me, for whoever is not for us is um, against us is for us. Truly, I tell you, anyone who gives a cup of cold water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. Now, the particular lectionary that I'm using, which is the narrative lectionary, which comes out of the Lutheran tradition, I like the narrative lectionary because unlike the revised common lectionary that tends to hop and skip around books of the Bible and sort of creates its own little canon of sorts, I prefer, generally speaking, to stay within one canonical book because of the frame and structure of that book. Call me a Protestant. That's how I am. I've never seen anybody sort of look at that that particular lectionary wanted me to stop the reading at verse 39, which even in the NIV is mid-sentence. and Even the NIV. I don't, I don't want to get into that. Um, what's the relationship? Because you've got a truly, I tell you, that's a, that's a verily, verily in the old King James Version. A cup of cold water in my name. Now, now most of us would not consider a cup of cold water to be anything special. And when we have this word miracle, we imagine, well, the, the laws of nature are going to be broken. Again, C.S. Lewis runs through all of this in his book. Julius Caesar. Did Julius Caesar break the laws of nature? Well, Julius Caesar's conceptualization and, Caesar, and Alexander the Great's conceptualization of how the universe worked was radically different than someone who lives in the 21st century. Radically different. And that has everything to do with the language here. So I thought I'd do a little bit of little bit of fun work. And of course, you know, I always look at the Greek. And so it's a power, a dunamin, um, a dunamis. That's, a, that's this organization. It's this power. And then if you go to, I can show it to you. Now, this is my Logos Bible study software. And in it, I have the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. Um, it's sometimes just called Kittle. There's sort of the full range of Kittle, which is the whole package. Someone gave my father that whole thing, and then when he died, my mother's like, do you want this? And I thought, no, I'll just use it on my computer because I already had it on my computer. It's just a lot easier to use on my computer. Okay, so then you, so then you begin to get into this word that is in, in the Greek underneath. And actually, Kittle, dunamai, to be able to, to, to be capable of, um, Kittle has really a wonderful treatment of the history of the word 
and it'll connect, of course, to um, the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And then the, the concept of power in the Greek and Hellenistic world, big conversation about that. The idea of power in the Old Testament, run through that. Uh, the ideas of power in rabbinic and Hellenistic Judaism, run through that. Some significant changes in there. The concept of power in the New Testament, and so you can you can read all of that if you have access to it. And then I thought, hmm. So I looked at I looked at the uh, the King James, but it's 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 sort of tough to sometimes get a. Um, so I looked at King James and it just had miracle and I was, I was dissatisfied with that. I wanted to find, okay, what, what, what do some really old English translations do? And I remembered that I have the, the Middle English Wycliffe translation in my Logos, which is a really fun translation to read because I don't really read Middle English. And that's here on the screen. I'll do like Rick does on Sunday morning. And um, there is no man that doth virtue in my name, V-E-R-T-U. Hmm. Now, just reading that, you might say, huh, I bet you I know what word that became later on. And sure enough, so you can look at that. And I thought, hmm, I did a little bit of research on the Wycliffe. Well, the, the Wycliffe translation was really a a translation of the Latin Vulgate. So, well, let's let's just take a look at the Latin. And I don't read Latin, but of course I know Spanish. And you begin uh, looking through this, and well, there it right is there. And of course, Father Eric and someone who is proficient in Latin will say, of course, that would be the word that is used. For no one who does a, now let's just play with the language a little bit. For no one who does a virtue in my name, and suddenly when you read that and you see the cup of cold water, well, the, the, it doesn't seem quite so odd then. Now, again, a cup of cold water wouldn't necessarily be a dunamis. It wouldn't be an expression of power. And again, you can go through the whole, you can go through the whole Hellenistic and um, conceptualizations of power, their worldview, et cetera, et cetera. But even so, you just do a little bit of, just look at the etymology and ah, mid-12th century, a wondrous work of God. That's what it means. It's something that, uh, the, from the old French miracle, miracle, a story of a miracle, a miracle play, from Latin miraculum. Oh, okay. So why do the English language translators pick this word? Well, for us, look at, the, look at how the choice of this world sort of factors into the entire worldview. Miraculum, object of wonder, marvelous events caused by God. Um, mirari, a wonder to look at, marvel to be astonished, figuratively to regard, esteem. And then it goes back, back, back. And, and it's like, wow, this, this miracle word really isn't connecting so much to virtue. From the mid-13th century, as something that excites wonder or astonishment. So then it's much more phenomenological without regard to divinity or supernatural power. And you can sort of begin to see the beginnings of the, what would come to be the modern world. It replaces Old English, uh, wonder work, basically. The Greek word rendered in miracle in English Bibles are either, and this is the way lexical range goes, um, sign 
or wonder or dunamis. Hey, there it is, which in Vulgates were translated respectively as signum, prod, prodigium, and virtus. Virtue, virile. I mean, all of this in, in this corner, we've talked about this before. This is a manifestation of power. And you could see, well, you get into principalities and powers and all of this stuff. There's a reason in, in Kittle they treated the, um, the Second Temple period with respect to these things. Now, right away, some people are going to be, well, why are we watching this video? We want to see Jordan Peterson say yes to miracles. Oh, okay. Well, let's hear what he has to say. In her attempts not to survive, I wouldn't say, but to stop engaging in any activity that would be counterproductive to the possibility of her survival. And did that help? Well, you could certainly at least claim that it didn't hurt and that if the odds are stacked against you, who knows what minor additional forces you might have to align behind you in order to maximize the possibility that you'll put the thread through the needle. That is so Jordan. <laughs> this is exactly what he's been saying <laughs> for the last six years. <laughs> now, Another thing you have to always consider with Jordan is he is very careful about what he says where. In that sense, he's sort of a modernist in that, hey, it's private. <laughs> what can I say in public? This is what I can say in public. And, and this is, Canada is a bit more British than America. So there are lots of cultural layers with respect to this. But minor... She is the only person in the world that we know of, is that true, that has survived this type of cancer. They Come on, Jordan, I got you here. I'm looking for the sound bite. Please, please, please. He's being very respectful. I don't mean to dog him, but it's, it's just, let's, let's, let's push Jordan a little harder. They told us, and I looked, that, that the one-year survival rate was zero. So, and it's very rare, right? That's this particular kind of cancer. And that was exactly what everyone we talked to told us to, all the hospitals. You know, generally speaking, physicians, especially specialists, who have confidence in their specialty, will be optimistic about what they can do. But I wouldn't say that that's what we encountered when we went to the various hospitals that we went to. We went to the best hospitals in North America. We had the luxury of being able to do that. And they told us the same thing. Always, it was always the same. Three potential treatments, no evidence for success for any of the three or any combination. So, you know. again, <laughs> you have a high profile guy, you've got multiple doctors weighing in, all of the medical consensus is such. We have no record of anyone surviving this. Now, again, someone might say, well, that doesn't mean that someone might. Fine. <laughs> but, I mean, the amazing Randy should cough off a million dollars. He really should. <laughs> because in terms of all of the ways that modernity wants to shield itself from this stuff, this case has it all. <laughs> it's just amazing. You know, what do I make of that? I, I wouldn't say, for me, 
the fact of her success is evidence of the miraculous, perhaps any more than there's evidence of the miraculous around us all the time. But the one thing that was very strange to me. And Again, this is this is Jordan. This is exactly how he's been. And all of, you know, so often I hear things, he's a grifter. I, I, I never, I don't get that sense from this man. He is telling you exactly what he thinks. Yeah, you might not like it, or you might love it, or you might quibble with it. It doesn't matter. He's telling you exactly what he thinks and what he's always thought. And I don't know how to understand was that she told me about three months before she recovered that she believed that she would be well on our, by our anniversary. And that's exactly what happened. And so that's, you know, the, the fact that she survived was very unlikely. But, you know, unlikely things happen. Mm. But the fact that she survived and she predicted when she was going to recover, that's a harder thing to wave away. <laughs> My point in all of this is that the way the internet, YouTube, the framing of the world in a certain public space is, is just so utterly and clearly wrong. You know, we have Douglas Murray saying, I would need to hear a voice. And I think, eh, that might not do it. <laughs> it might not do it. How we believe, what we believe, why we believe, it's exceedingly mere, it's exceedingly common and exceedingly mysterious. It just is. That is that is just how we are. And this is one of the greatest examples because you, you can you can take this video and show it to your skeptical friend and say, aha, miracles exist. And as has often been said, all you need is one miracle and the entire edifice of reductive materialism collapses and all of the reasons why yada 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 it all collapses but that's just an imaginary house of cards in the clouds that's not how real people work it just isn't because you come from a scientific background jordan it is your bread and butter you should be dismissing any idea of some kind of divine intervention you should be saying from the get-go, that's off the cards. Yeah, it's I should. <laughs> should be. He never has. <laughs> that's never been him. Oh. It's luck. It's a coincidence. Well, I think, I think the proper scientific attitude is more the Occam's razor. The Occam's razor. Use of Occam's razor, which is always prefer the simplest explanation, right? And the miraculous is very... Now, this is why I call it the scientistic lab leak. In that you, I mean, Occam's razor is a fine tool, but unlikely things happen. And sometimes you discover with enough exam examination that the unlikely path to a particular event was 
the most believable and the truest given all of the information than at a certain level of resolution you look at it and say i think it was this because that's that's the most likely thing like you know you can look at anything you want to the resurrection of jesus the miracles of jesus and say most likely it didn't happen and and that is what you'll get from i forget oh that was sam harris sam harris in talking most likely it didn't happen and I seem to remember Sam just sort of bullied Jordan into a corner. And and with this, you could sort of bully him back and say, well, you know what? My wife is still alive. And not only is she still alive, she told me beforehand what day she would receive the healing. Our anniversary, not a random day that she picked out of, but a significant day. So... Very rarely, this always prefer the simplest explanation, right? And the miraculous is very rarely the simplest explanation. In fact, I have less problem with it, I suppose, than many typical scientists. I'm not a reductive materialist. And, and part of the reason for this lab leak is, if you're a doctor, you... You work with a certain model and framework of the world that, by definition, excludes what is framed as divine intervention. Even though, as Jordan just finished saying a little bit earlier, in some ways, if I cut my hand, the fact that my hand heals is in some ways a miracle. If I would cut my desk and it healed... It would be called a miracle. Just because my hand heals commonly, I don't think of it as such. So, again, C.S. Lewis walks through all of this stuff in his book, Miracles. Um, um, I, think, I think we would see the miraculous constantly if we weren't blind. I think we do see it constantly and are blind. Blinded by... Everything. Oh God! Sin, presumption, pride, arrogance, um, ignorance, willful blindness—the <laughs> the easiest miracle to apprehend is the miracle of your own stupidity, and that's a rather painful one to start with. But you probably have to start with that one. And that's a miracle that. So 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 basically, he's using miracle as sort of a wonder, and you know the. Can occur again and again. Oh, that's and again. for sure. And yeah, and if you don't think that's a miracle, you haven't done much self-evaluation. Because when you mentioned the miracles in the Bible, it was interesting. You said you paused. They're hard to. I thought you were going to say believe, but you said they're hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't separate belief from understanding. Not fundamentally. I think myself. You can have faith and know something to be true, or believe or hope it's true, but to try and understand the creator of the universe and the mysteries of the gospel, the mysteries of suffering in the world? Well, that, that, that's the point at which, especially with, in relationship to, say, the problem of suffering per se or the problem of evil, you know, at some point every question bottoms out in a mystery and that's where the faith has to be. You know, people laugh about the God of the gaps, but that's a, that we conjure up God to explain those things that we cannot yet explain. 
that's a very shallow dismissal of the fact of necessary faith. Faith is necessary in part because you don't know everything. When you saw Tammy's newfound faith and now her conversion mm -hmm. to the Catholic Church, her deepened you, faith. Deepened faith. Mm -hmm. She had faith. Again, framing deepened faith. And and Jordan is basically walking you through his worldview with this. This is what he's doing. And his worldview has been remarkably consistent. Now, that doesn't mean there hasn't been deepening for him. And, and I think if you compare him here to, let's say, some of the question and answer sessions from 2017 and 2018, when he'd be up in his office in a t-shirt answering questions, I would say there is certainly a deepening, and that deepening has been through suffering, you know, the, the suffering that, that he went through in terms of his illness and the suffering that he went through in terms of the illness of his wife. But you can't read 12 Rules for Life, especially the section where he talks about the suffering that he and his wife went through with respect to Michaela's illness. I mean, I, I have seen few things shake families as deeply as the illness of a child. In many ways, we can much more easily accept and deal with our own illnesses than the illness of a child. I, I mean, that tests you and shakes you. So... Um of a courageous sort before that. She certainly had faith in the truth. Mm. But how have you seen a change in her? Oh, she's got deeper, that's for sure. She's, um, she has more faith in herself, which has enabled her to attempt things that she had forbidden herself before, many things. She's speaking publicly, she's, which she wouldn't have done before, although she may have liked to, even though she would have hidden that from herself, that desire, people hide. Even their desire to have their light shine, much less the light, they hide that from themselves. And that's lack of faith. They're afraid that if they admitted to the ambition and pursued it, it would come to naught. She now, what he just said there is probably not something that's going to get a lot of headlines because everybody wants to focus on this modernist framing of a miracle. But the transformation that he, po he pointed to right there, I think, was deeply significant. You know, this, this portion that came up, you never know what's going to come up in a conversation. And this portion that came up in my conversation with Food Truck Emily, you know, was really telling in terms of the relationship of music and her faith. And after this interview first went into the membership section and then out to the full channel, a number of musicians contacted me and basically said, I had very much the same experience because a lot of people in this corner have been through losing faith, finding faith, this this journey of faith that is it is, it is not uncommon, even for someone who stays in church their whole life, to have highs and lows. Anyway, let's... Oh, I've always said that during worship, or like what I was, what I was a part of doing, like when I was younger, or music in general. Yeah. So like even so, when I left, like that, like I don't know what do you say, left the faith. How do you say that? I don't know. I don't know. When I was in the wilderness, because it's really, it's really hard to figure out how to 
say a lot of, of in terms feel, of yeah none of those words or phrases feel right they feel really trite and empty and i don't know what to say but whenever i left all that stuff i lost music too That's it was like i my enjoyment in music was so much in the actual worship and the yep. whether not whether it's religious music or not there was something why right. my dad described it as like he felt the delight of god on him when he would sing he was he led worship too you know and that's exactly how it felt like there is something that happens inside of me that feels like the warmth of god is all around me and i don't know how else to describe it yep. um and so that's what I was, you know, saying yes to. And it felt like it was felt like it was designed for me to just like an, a door just opened for me to just walk right into, you know, and it has been great. But I think part of. And you can listen to the whole thing, obviously, it's it's all on the channel now. The, the name of the video is Food Truck Emily, How the Gospel of My Right Arm Has, has Failed Me. I, I loved it when she said that earlier on. And so it's. It's not a small thing what Jordan is talking about here that the deepening of her faith, I, I still haven't sort of rewatched the end of my conversation with John Verveke because, you know, I talk about Pascal's spirit of finesse and, you know, when, when John talks about optimal grip, I don't see that as a static thing like me on my, my little, uh, thermos cup here i see it much more as life is a restless seeking that optimal grip and science is only one finger let's say it that way she's less troubled in her soul that's a good way of putting it she's recovered that state of childhood that christ associates with the kingdom and that's a remarkable thing to see because I also knew her as a child. And so I can actually see that re-emerge. And that's quite the bloody miracle that is. The question for Tammy and for people of... Don't, editor of this talk, it's clearly edited. You zoomed into his emotional face. Pause right there again. What Jordan said earlier about not seeing the miracles that are, he just testified to, I knew her as a child. And if you listen to their story, she's a little bit older than he is. And they, they knew each other very young. She, you know, he had a crush on her, blah, 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 blah. They eventually got married, blah, 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 blah. So this is a relationship that these two have maintained for a very long time. And he knew her when she was young. And the transformation that he sees in her is goes far beyond the fact that she's still walking around today and did you hear what he just said and and again that use of miracle we sort of trip we sort of go over makes me frustrated okay back at it of faith all over the world and, and all the different religions is that is it I know you've said before the Catholic faith is the closest people will get to sanity or to keep people sane. <laughs> it was sad to say. <laughs> really? Really? No, don't go to the Catholic Church. Come to the Christian Reformed Church. We're selling our denominational building. You can have it for a song. 
<laughs> Probably not for a song. Good Dutchman or good businessman. Uh, that, 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 that property on 28th in Kalamazoo is worth a lot of money. But, you know, that's it. Is this something, just some rules and guidelines that we need to keep us from despair? Because well, there's different it, levels of depth. Or is, is this something more, something more divine? Please, Jordan, please just say the Catholic Church is the only church. Please just say that. He's not going to say it. He's not going to say it. Even if he thinks it privately, he's not going to say it on video. He's not going to say it. If he does say it someday, it'll be big news. But about this. Yes, sure. You know, Tammy had engaged in a lot of disciplinary practices prior to deepening her Christian faith, and those other disciplinary practices had their utility. All of that deepened partly as a consequence of her ordeal, and as it deepened, it took on a more Christian form, but I think that's inevitable because what's deepest inevitably takes on a Christian form. Like, if you pursue any disciplinary... Did you hear what he just said? <laughs> and again, I betcha that there are clip channels out here just taking little things, but what he just said there... That's a statement. I mean, that tells you a lot about where he has come to regard the Christian faith. And, and that is, that is a deep, <laughs> I, I, I struggle to think of a, a framing conceptualization that can better affirm a specific worldview than Jordan basically just basically just said that if you get all the way to the bottom, you'll find the Christian faith. That's pretty much what he just said. Now, again, for a whole bunch of people out there, they're going to find this whole thing insufficient. And my question is always, insufficient for what? Judge not that you be not judged. Jordan will someday stand before his maker and give an account for everything that he's done. I believe that. Why, why do you believe that? Because it's in the Bible, because I'm a Protestant. I believe it. And What about these other things in the Bible, pastor? <laughs> told you I'm not the judge of heaven and earth. <laughs> Don't tempt me into it. <laughs> it's an astounding statement he just made. The endeavor that will take you into the depths. If you pursue a multitude of disciplinary, disciplinary endeavors to the ultimate degree, that will take you to the final depths. And you'll discover what is to be discovered in the final depths. And that's well, that's the light at the end of the tunnel, I suppose. It's the darkness first, though. Are we not inviting people? No, no, he wanted you to say that's the Roman Catholic Church. That's what he really wanted. Oh, Jordan, you're such a frustrating interviewee. <laughs> people to do that enough now. When we look at the Catholic Church and its decline in recent years, le less young people going, less people signing up for a religious life. And since... You could say the 60s. Well, if it's all guitar and hippies, who the hell cares? But since... The, since the <laughs> He's been spending too much time with Bishop Barron. <laughs> and yet, the Jesus People Revolution, boy, there was, there was part of that that helped revive the Catholic Church. So it's... Uh, 
Vatican II, let's mm. say, in the 60s, the church has been aiming to be more relevant, yeah, right. more welcoming. So it's... Yeah, thing, what's the that's problem? not working. It's, it's not shallow, working. obviously. Shallow and contemptible. You know, it's supposed to be an invitation to the great adventure of life. What's the great adventure of life? Pick up your cross and follow me. Like, that's a hell of an invitation. But that's the invitation. And the church lost faith in that. You think we have to be isn't... relevant. Well, what's more relevant than that? Mm. As soon as you say that you need to be more relevant than that, what you're doing technically is putting something else above that. Well, that's not going to work. Not if the original proposition was correct. And obviously the original proposition is correct. You might say, well, why obviously? Okay, well... Christ faced and triumphed over death and hell. And you might say, well, why is that relevant? And the answer is, because that's what you have to do. Right, and everyone, you're stuck with it. So is the Catholic Church not challenging people enough Definitely now? not, not enough, not by any stretch of the imagination. The gateway to paradise is barred by the cherubs who have swords that flame and turn every which way. What does that mean? It means it's hard to get into the club, man. Anything that isn't worthy gets cut and burned away. Well, of course, that's hell, especially if you resist it, really. And there's no sugarcoating that, and that isn't what people want anyways. Young people want an adventure. Why the hell do you think they're so concerned with saving the planet, which Pope Francis seems to be on about constantly, when he should be saving souls? That's how you save the planet. Not by worshipping Gaia. Do you think Pope Francis puts the emphasis in the wrong places sometimes? Well, I gave you that example. I don't see, for the life of me, what the Catholic Church has to do with... Why, why did the editors need to put his name up at this point, right after he <laughs> expressed his disagreement with the Bishop of Rome? I don't see, for the life of me, what the Catholic Church has to do with climate crisis. Just the formulation is wrong. The priority is wrong. You save the world one person at a time. It, it lacks faith in its own mission. Let me ask. Again, I've, I've, I've watched Jordan for a very long time and nothing he said in this really surprised me. Some of it was deeper. I'll say it that way. Some of it was deeper. And, of course, he sort of weighs in on intramural Roman Catholic fights. I think it's helpful to bring up because, hey, I'm an old guy. I remember stuff. Once I, maybe when I get older, I won't remember stuff. But I still remember stuff. So four years ago, Jordan Peterson at Liberty University. And I remember him talking about, he said, that's where someone famously rushed the stage. Um Oh, oh, some someday, someday, biographers are going to just Jordan and his life are going to make the best biography. It just is true. But but he talked about how at Liberty he was quite moved by that, and that's drums and guitars and um, you know it's yeah yeah. So one more time, one more time, Jordan. One last shot at this. Finally, Tammy, with her deepened faith, 
has felt this tug towards the Catholic Church, the Catholic yeah. faith, let's say, Catholicism. I know your studies in the Old Testament, those lecture series that you did, phenomenally successful. Your conversations with Bishop Barron and other people within the Catholic Church. Does any part of you feel a tug as well? Towards the Catholic Church? Towards the Catholic faith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Towards the Catholic Church? Towards the Catholic faith. Is that a big C or a small C? Let's, let's, let's get the details right here. There's plenty of things the Catholic faith got right. So is there a tongue towards? Past tense. Did you hear that? Little thing? Don't know. There's an appreciation for it. So... Everybody has their own path. Tammy's on hers. I'm on mine. George Peterson, thank you very much for your time. Oh, so yeah, it's a great interview. It's worth watching the whole thing. Um, he's Jordan Peterson. This is this is exactly who he is, and. and, and People will want what they'll want from him, but he's he's a very he's a very complex man. Will he formally join Living Stones? I'll have to have Jordan Peterson on stage here at Living Stones and see if I can get him in. <laughs> ah, well, you asked for it. Here it was. Better leave a comment. Oh, one last thing. Gonna add a little bit of branding. I, I said I would do this, and uh, as as part of my uh, recognition of being part of the Virtually Not Alone Network, I'll I'll just drop a little branding here at the end. And if you wonder about the craziness of the branding, well, you just look around and look for the little corner and find the other channels that are having this little this flotilla of mostly tiny little channels, and uh, what we're how we're playing together. So remember embody I got to I got to get some of Grizz's branding in here. We want what's best for you. Remember, there is no agency. And also remember embody. Remember to embody. You know this this vague accent that that Grim has, you know, maybe he's been sent from from Russia to America to colonize me personally. Maybe, maybe Grim Grizz is, is, is Putin's tool to, to, to get under my skin. And now that he's become my favorite YouTube channel, it's happening. Remember Embody. Remember Embody. We want what's best for you. You're actually your body wants what's best for you. Remember, everybody, there is no agency. We want what's best for you. Trust the facts. Remember, everybody. Don't have gratitude unless you. Remember, embody it. There is no agency. We want what's best for you.
please do. Remember, Embody, we want what's best for you. The Remember, Embody, uh, participation and virtually not alone, I mean, these are the themes of, of Grizz's channel, are, are really central to this. Grim Grizz channel, the heart of the Grim Grizz channel is virtually not alone. Remember, Embody, there is no agency. The heart of the Grim Grizz channel is about the question and anxiety of life being wasted in union with machines instead of other real human beings. That's the heart of your channel, Grizz. That's the heart of your channel. And it comes out of, very clearly, the, the pain that many people are growing up being parented by machines and not by their biological parents. Yeah, there it is.